They keep saying, this is a hologram. It's a hologram. You're the imprint of a spirit riding an electrical wave that looks like a human. Get it? Get it? Where can you get it? Outside this biosphere. When the way out is the only way in.
tested, isn't it? Because, um, you know, this is the, uh, this is sort of the make it or break it time, isn't it? And um, uh, people are, you know, they're, I, I, I can see from uh, the uh, Detroit Lions versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game in Detroit the stadium, which had been, you know, Detroit had been on the decline for a long time. And it was completely, utterly filled with, and, and with people all dressed like in Lions uniforms, you know, and, and oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, my back is, is my, my, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Just, yeah, I'm Okay. But they were just all the way to the last seat at the very top of the uh, st- of the bowl the stadium. Uh, there were people, and they all had identical ribbons. They were waving, and I never. The only thing I could liken it to would be Nazi Germany. Uh, I've never really seen that kind of. I mean, that kind of comeback. Uh, where did that come from? I never seen anything like it, even during the the heyday of football back in the 60s and the 70s, you know, um, where there were lots of loyal Detroit Lions fans. I had never seen um, the stands that full, and they all were shouting in unison at the other team, in this case the poor Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who probably wish they never got out of bed, that you know, and certainly never... I mean, what a hostile environment to play in if you're the opposing team. But they were all of one mind. It was, it was, it was really, in a sense, like watching. You know, they could have been saying "zig hao" or any phrase, but it was this massive, incredible unity. In other words, the take a knee, step it past. The woke stuff had gone. 
uh, NBC was producing it, so it's corporate corporatocracy. You know, the, the still the voice of uh, you, you know ultimately of uh, Larry Don't Think Think and all the other retards that think they're running the planet and are really just running up their assholes. Sorry to put it that way, but it's just it's incredible watching the stupidity of the utter complete complete stupidity of science of what they call science science and believe me I just got out of the hospital where I I was like being in a complete clown show I couldn't say much when I was broadcasting from there because ears were everywhere you know what I mean it's causing a stink while you're crippled as I am but I'm gaining progress but still can't walk, but still the same thing. I couldn't exactly defend myself, you know what I mean? So there was a number of, you know, I I mean, I'll tell you what's wrong with the West. I'll just like sum it up because I don't need to repeat uh, the warnings of, uh, you know, the big podcasters today. I mean, they're warning that um, let's, let's go through the bullet point, shall we? Uh, World War Three. They're ramping up, you know, depopulation. Uh, a new virus that takes out most people that it infects. Um, the next lockdown, you know, and of course, you know, ramping up the war and retaliate. The whole thing has been in retaliate. Listen, the whole thing is based on Bill Gates getting pantsed in high school. I know that just sounds incredible that this guy wants vengeance and he's infected all the other people, all the other like billionaire cohorts. And because of his his pedigree with his family, and you know, he's been able to infect all the other so-called leaders, most of which are puppets. They're just assigned. You know, like like the head of the Who and the head of the he's he's another clown. It's just a, a sign. Well, we got a black man who's heading up the Who. See, it's black now. If they're black, you do what they say because otherwise you're racist. You know. And so we have all this uh, incredible kabuki theater of stupidity, and stupidity is what rules the world, and the real currency of the world is stupidity, and. Um, the only reason we're not dead at this point is because God has reached in and saved us from death. And I can point to a number of miracles of the Lord. And if you don't believe in the Lord now, you're, you, you've, <laughs> I, I don't know. I did see a lot of people down in Albuquerque and uh, around here, you know, I mean, we have the reason I like Albuquerque is because it's a mediocre city, you know, totally corrupt. Um, it, it doesn't really produce much. There really is no point for Albuquerque, actually, or Santa Fe, or any uh, or New Mexico. But anyway, in in looking at Albuquerque, the fact that it's become now like I was being warned by people in the hospital because it's right in the middle of. There's the Presbyterian Hospital in the middle of downtown, if you know it. And um, they were telling me, don't go up Central Avenue unless you really check and read it. And I'm like, well, 
you know, they're all talking about guns and, you know, and, and the, the town's become like the Wild West. Uh, oh, Ben, like a shootout thing. So, uh, and then, anyway, it's, um, I really couldn't leave the hospital. I was, you know, not discharged. Furthermore, I, I, I didn't have any legs to walk anywhere. I certainly couldn't call up a cab. There's, there's really nothing in Albuquerque I want to see on Central Avenue anyway, other than maybe some kind of a coffee place, in which case I could order in an Uber Eats or something to bring it to me. Um... But yeah, no, there was some really strange things with this hospital. And there's a strange connection, too, with uh, the, the one I was just in here called Chris's St. Vincent. And then I was transferred because I had... Uh, uh, your commentator here has been through... If you... Let me put it this way. There are several doctors groups that follow me and follow my expanded chart. If you combine the charts from one, both hospitals, and actually I was in three, and I was in a Presbyterian here in Santa Fe, and then I was transferred there because they had to do a surgery on my lung because my lung, uh, all the fluid of the infection was on my right lung, so they had to, you know, cut into it and you know, drain it, and um, that was a major surgery but after I went through I agreed to the surgery because the chest tubes they were putting in the tubes were only draining so much and they couldn't drain the rest of it unless they went in there and just cut it out and scraped it out so that was pretty risky and probably I didn't really have a choice though because I would have just remained infected and so I was up against the wall so I said yes so the anesthesiologist decides to use some kind of either a BPAP or a intubation on me to, uh, as part of my anesthesiology. And I know that, that this is a technique that's done nowadays using this. And so when I was coming out of the anesthesia, I couldn't breathe and I was conscious that I was going to go into cardiac arrest. I was going to die because they wouldn't remove the mask, the headgear, or whatever that thing was uh, preventing me from breathing. They wouldn't remove it. And uh, finally, I had enough consciousness to be able to indicate I was under distress, and then they figured that out. They removed the mask, and then I could breathe fine. Another 30 seconds, folks, I would have been gone by that kind of incompetency. Do you think that nurse, whose name was Rebel or something, down in the OR, do you think, and I hope my friend... And you know who you are. I got a, I got a, I got an ally inside, you know, inside the prison there. And uh, do you really think that had I passed on because of being, uh, you know, of no air, do you really think that that nurse or that doctor or any of them would have gotten in trouble? The answer is no. They wouldn't have. It would just be another death. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. He had a. A million things wrong with him. It's amazing he lasted this long. That's exactly what they'd say. And um, Ben's is just deciding to interrupt, but isn't it lovely having Ben's interrupt? You know, oh, he's bringing me his rope. 
and he's not done playing around with that rope. What he does is he brings me a long rope but cinches up on it and tries to bite my hand or he pulls me around in my wheelchair, you know, which is pretty funny. But anyway, folks, I'm able to say a few things now that I couldn't say before because, like I said, my speech was being monitored and, you know, there were some good things to say too and some good Christmas cheer we shared and, you know, to, to not become so cynical that we just write off, you know, childish fantasies that, you know, kids have of Christmas and things, you know, to, to, you know, to, to write off being, you know, easier to be cold and circumspect rather than be warm and open, you know, because people are afraid of being hurt or persecuted or you're a lamb, you're not part of the system, so you think people are going to just pick on you. And, um, but that's not who we are. And that's a whole other conversation. At the same time, I got enough material now to really write, to to finish this horror story, which is a fiction. And I think my education was not complete until I finally transferred from one to another hospital to the big, the big daddy of them all, uh, Presbyterian in uh, uh, Albuquerque, which certainly exceeded my expectations of... uh, and my theory that most doctors don't talk to each other and they don't collaborate. They each have their own little, you know, their own little, like, this guy's cardiology, this guy's pulmonary, this guy over here is, you know, gastrointestinal, this guy. And they all do their own thing. And they don't, you know what I mean? So they had a number of these people following me and, you know, they each have their own recommendations as to what you should do. And instead of, like, treating the whole person... You know, the whole person needs to be healed. You know, um, another thing that needs to be healed is just the the mental trauma of being in these places and having people die all around you. You know, like, whoop, there goes another one, you know, down the hall. And that was really, you know, beginning to get to me as well. And and really seeing the nurses very, you know, most of them having a total callous reaction like, Get that thing out of here, okay? Move the next one in, you know? And it just was like that uh, on that level. Not all. There's good people everywhere, and I cherish them, and I've got, um, you know, a couple uh, in each place. There's There's been allies. But um, if I didn't keep my wits about me, folks, I'd be dead right now. And that's just the bottom line of the hospitalization I would be dead because I didn't, would, because I had to, I guess I drove them nuts because I would fight to get, you know, when things weren't right, I would fight back. And I just started thinking, you know, last week or so, I'm trying to like decompress from this whole thing this last week that I've been home. And I've realized that if I didn't fight for myself and argue with these doctors and people and whatever, about perfectly logical situations. You know, I might be really, really damaged right now. Just because one doctor's solution is not... For, give you an example. If they give you heart medication to regulate your AFib, which they say I have AFib. Okay, so they got to get the heart rate down. They got to get the blood pressure down. They got to... Because, you know... And then they say, well, you, you also have the danger of congestive heart failure. You could just die at any minute. 
from that. So they're treating that. And then at the same time, wanted to lower the blood pressure. And at the same time, uh, the kidneys, when the blood pressure is low, can't operate. So they give off a sign of, you know, you're going into kidney failure. And as soon as they, you know, reduce the medication and they listen to me and they listen to my complaints about, you know, not wanting to be a zombie and not, you know, and, and feeling really shitty. And as soon as they listen to me and they make a couple of adjustments, in other words, a couple of departments actually communicate together, like, uh, you know, and they make those adjustments, voila, uh, balance comes and things uh, go well, recovery occurs, and I get out of there, which would not have happened had I not raised my uh, voice and... uh, you know, there are other silly things that happen, like um, in the middle of the night they decide to do an MRI on my brain because they did, you know, they were wondering if my brain was damaged in the middle of the night, like two in the morning or one in the morning. I'm tied, I wake up, you know, I don't even know how I got there, and I'm tied to this MRI machine which is putting out this signal into my head, this bamp, 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 bamp sound. So I start fighting as I'm punching it, you know, and screaming. And I ruined the whole experiment. And then they got me back to the room and uh, explained that they were just checking my brain. And then they said, oh, well, his brain is fine. We don't need to do that again without further checking, without informing me. And uh, I found that to be very strange, don't you? Do you find that to be strange? An MRI in the middle of the, uh, the, the, in the, it's almost like sneaking it, like doing an experiment, right? Experimenting on patients. So, you know, don't think to my friend and to my ally, don't think that any of that got beyond me because I am as sharp as a tack and it did not get beyond me, not one bit of it. But I had to survive. So I had to play the game somewhat, you know. And, and you know, I, if anything within reason, I'll listen to. But I'm not going to start just throwing drugs down my throat because they tell me I... And they have a habit of when they bring drugs in for you to take... They go, well, here's your blah, blah, blah. And here is your, they call it your, like like I've been taking these drugs for my whole life. Oh, and here's your stomach meds. And here's your, you know, your stool softener. And here's your heart medication. And here's your blood thinner. And here's your blah, blah, blah. And here's your, you know, your, the word your. What is your, and they all say the same thing. Every nurse in the entire building, like hundreds of them, when they give you any medication, they say, here is your Alka-Seltzer. Here is your Tylenol. Like, like it's yours. They're just giving it to you, what's already yours. Don't you find that strange? I find that totally evil. That's like, you know, that's right out of, you know, Goebbels or, uh, 
you know, that's 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 right out of um, MK Ultra. Here is your, here are your meds, and and they do it for each med. Here's your Protonics. Here is your Tylenol. Here is your so and so. Yes, but do you have to give this to me at two in the morning? What is the reason for waking me up and saying, here is your this and that? Well, you know, I have rounds. It takes me time to, you know, get these medications out. There's a lot of patients that need help here, and they need their medications. I see. And these are mine. So basically, I blew off pretty much all of them and got them all to renege and take them all away and just deal with, you know, something that's, you know, on a temporary basis because I don't think, you know, uh, drugs are really good for people. And uh, that's not my goal, to be on a lot of drugs and to have uh, my savior be the hospital. Right? The only thing they can do is get you, you know, what they did, the big things they did, combined with my own... uh, you know, taking care of myself, uh, they were able to intervene on my infection and remove it. And, you know, the follow-up, though, has to be my own. You know what I mean? It's sort of like... Um, Plus, I was sneaking you in the good stuff every day. Yeah, Trish was sneaking me in stuff like, you know, uh, Zelensky, you know, Z, Z stuff and... Just different different kinds of because there are people in there that were getting like pneumonia and they their war rooms would be quarantined and then there are people that would just there are people in rehab that just like you see that the ambulance come in the fire department come in and they just haul the bodies off and nobody says a word it's really quite something it's really pretty sad. It really is. And anyone who doesn't think that is out of their freaking mind. You know? So I just want to make sure that you understand. There's a time and place for everything. And I can just say that to the good people that helped me out, thank you. I'm not supposed to live forever. I know that. Um, But, you know, I did have some good... uh, um, physical therapists and things like that that helped me. And there were... there. Out of all the nurses, there's a small handful of good ones that were very compassionate and all that. Just, you know. And they have realized the spiritual value. And all of them knew Jesus. All of them knew the Lord. And they realized, you know, things were wrong, but, you know, they need a job in that that profession, and that's what they do. And I, I don't know that it will... I think... The problem with it all has to do with the educational system and how doctors are trained and how they come up and how the nursing profession comes up through education and, and this sort of, um, it's, it's like education itself when you have people that have tenure and they maybe, they shouldn't and there's all kinds of privileges for being up in the pecking order and, you know, there's a, there's a whole hierarchy there that goes on that I'm not sure is the most healthy thing, but... Um, you know, it's the system we have. And like I say, the good news is uh, what was wrong with me 
could not have been fixed by a shaman doctor, uh, could not have been fixed by going to a revival. The Lord sent me there. They fixed, you know, fixed the thing that I needed fixed that saved my life. The other stuff, doing MRIs on my brain and things like that in the middle of the night, you just have to shake your head and go to... You just have to... I mean, does that make sense to you? I suppose you could rationalize it by saying, well, they do MRIs all all the night and day around here. It's nothing unusual. I see. And then deciding after I broke up the whole ceremony that it really wasn't necessary in the first place. And so some of the things I was writing about, I did 11 chapters of my novel and I've decided that I'm going to, now I'm going to, you know, finish it and probably fashion it into some kind of a film, I think. Maybe a film script. You know, because the neat thing about a hospital story is that it all you need is the hospital. It's like one location, yeah. you know. And so that uh, is inter- interesting to me because we, you know, money is scarce. You know, we're not part of the big Hollywood system. And I'm not sure I could even survive that. We're here as the anti-system. Or the, um, not against Hollywood movies, but see the kind of films we make, independent films, you couldn't get out of Hollywood. So I say, well, yeah, you don't get the top talent. It doesn't look like the the fit and finish of a... No, no, we're not really trying. What we're doing is free expressing ideas and things in cinematic terms. Uh, things that used to be done in uh, in world cinema, and it all conformed to this sort of genres, and then it became Netflix. Um, that being said, I was reading the uh, Jack Reacher novel, and it was called "You Know Bad Luck and Trouble" by Lee Child, and I, I didn't even know this, but then I look on the TV. And that very book that I read, I read most of it in one sitting almost, that's now going to be on, uh, that's on Prime. If you remember, I guess you get it for free. And um, I'm sure that'll be quite popular. And I know that that guy is actually a uh, committed Christian too, the guy that's on it. and they And no one's jumped on him. And so... I do see a lot of people coming out of the woodwork. And as far as the, you know, like I said, even in a hospital experience, they would find out that I was a believer, you know what I mean? And then then, then, then they would drop their guard. You know, there are a lot of people there that are sort of on, on, on guard. And that was not the majority. Uh, the majority looks like a woke, it looks like a woke convention for uh, the WEF, you know? That's pretty much what it looks like, and uh, but I uh, but then there's a lot of people that are nodding and winking and just like it was in the old days when people were afraid of being hauled in front of the lions and eaten up. I've gotten so distracted talking about my experience, uh, you know, the kind of dark side of my experience. The light side is survival. Got discharged, did it the right way. 
I had a very good relationship with my main doctor who was uh, we're recommending as a, I mean he was a great guy he was the one that straightened all my meds out and did everything very compassionate lovely guy and um, you know like I say I don't I don't want to disparage people that don't need to be disparaged but there was just some weird shit that went on and um, I will uh, definitely keep I mean, you know I could see people going in there with COVID, you know, and if they didn't say anything, wind up being intubated. And then it's just like blowing air into a corpse. You know what I mean? They're blowing air in and the lungs are going up and down and whatnot, but there's nobody home. And this is what it, this is, this is a, a real common thing. And, and, and the, all the people there that you talk to, they will talk about that and say, yeah, that's a real problem. And they were all concerned that, you know, new waves of, of COVID and whatnot are coming. And, you know, they had a real funny thing. But with me, I was Mr. Contaminated. So if you had to, if you wanted to talk to me, you had to put on protective clothing or whatever. So it was, it was quite the ordeal. And I've decided I've had enough of this hospital thing, enough of these. Uh, I went through hell, I think, since May. This this problem has been plaguing me since May. So and then and then the grand finale was losing my legs, and I'm sure it's like I'd lost more than that, you know. But um, you know, you go through things like I'm sure people that lose the use of their legs, like in car accident, would be. I mean, I, I may be able to get them back. I don't know. We'll see. We're working on it. You will. I will. Okay. Church says. Take it from Trish. I'm working at it, you know, walking around on a walker. And and then she has a strap that she can, if I start to wobble, because what happens is when I stand up, I wobble. Um, you know what I mean? Like I could fall backwards and buckle, or I could fall sideways either way. And sometimes the uh, leg just gives out and won't, you know, it just gives out. You know what I mean? And that's it. So you have to have your upper body strength. So like if you're on a walker, you can hold, keep yourself pushed up, make sure there's, we put rails in the house so I could, you know, use the facilities to shower the bathroom, whatnot. You have to, there's strategies that I learned in, uh, I went to a rehab there after the hospital and that was great. That was, yeah, it was two weeks there and they taught me a lot of things about, you know, how to get around and how not to fall. So that was invaluable, even though I I didn't like the loneliness of, you know, continuing to be away from home. And, and they were the same as the hospital. They had me on oxygen and they, they monitored me. They, they came in the middle of the night with the meds. They, 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 they ran the place just like Presbyterian or any hospital. But the difference is they would get you up in the morning and start you walking around. They wouldn't let you just lie there in your bed because the more you lie there in bed, the more those legs are going to be useless. So, you know, and there are a couple of, you know, it's scary when you don't know if your legs are going to hold up and you you don't want to have a fall and you're just, it's just a, uh, you become afraid to try it again. If you've had a fall or something didn't go right or something felt really bad, you're afraid to then try it again. But you have to then, in order to get better, I think you have to keep 
trying it, you know. I'm beginning to think in my case that the reason legs went is I think my, my oxygen went and, and the, it's almost like having, you know, my doctor there, he was amazed that I didn't see a neurologist, but it could have been, you know, just like the, the, I, my body was so weak. The septus was really bad. The septus, yeah, it was bad. And it manifested in my legs, taking the strength out of the legs, but it was really the strength out of my whole body, but then it took the legs. So building the strength back up, right, it, it's, as the weeks and months follow, would be the uh, the answer. And I know there's a lot of people that they know they get in the wheelchair and they they're not they have, have no problem with it and they or they get in a scooter or something. And I'm not really. That's what I do. I mean, I'm in the I'm in the chair myself, and I don't have any way of like if I go to a doctor appointment or if I go somewhere. I can't really. Unless I'm in the chair, I can't really go into a, a market and I can't shop. I can't really do anything. Yeah. Right, but I mean, I can't take the, the walker. The walker, I can only last for so many feet before I just have to sit down before my body is going to give out. So it's, uh, you know, a slow process. But what keeps me going is the fact that the entire time, even when I lost my mind in there and I didn't know my own name, which did happen... Nor did I know my date of birth, nor did I know who, you know, anyone was, nor did I know where I was. Even in that state, I felt God was with me. It wasn't like, I am with you. It was like floating in this, in a way it was like being dead. I wasn't really here, you know, or there where I was. And... Um, and it was like on a sea of, you know, it was painless. And I had no reason to worry. And I wasn't worried. And my memories and everything came back. And as my oxygen level, you know, at one point they had to put me on like 15 liters of oxygen per hour. 16. 16 liters? Yeah. Holy fucking shit. That means that you, you're gone. <laughs> so why am I alive today? I should not, according to where I, you know, what happened. You know, there are people, they've, they've connected the two charts now, the Christus, the Presbyterian, Santa Fe and the Presbyterian downtown, and also the rehab hospital. So all that can be available in one chart. And then I'm continuing with some help from, I need the doctors to be able to send me more physical therapists that my insurance will pay for. And they come to the house and to, to keep working with me because I really, that that's the one really great thing. And I don't really want to go on and on about myself and I've tried to refrain from that, but I just had to kind of let it out about the, uh, you know, some of the, the, the really, you know, and then there was obviously, you know, some things I'm not talking about, which you know, really pretty evil. That uh, you know, it was there. Not to say there wasn't again people that uh, had a um, were compassionate toward patients and 
wanted to, you know, get to know them and encourage them to get better and had a cheerful word. In the rehab hospital, there was, it seemed like all the nurses were like that. They were all very encouraging and they were all really pretty helpful. But in the regular hospital with the pressures of all the pain, and you should have seen the ER because they came in during like Christmas and the ER was like just overflowed with people. It just looked like, um, it reminded me of Mexico. It was just overflowing. It was like people out the door. But the reason that I got a bed was because I got pushed in by the ambulance. And they couldn't take me there unless there was a transfer. But I had to go by all the people in the ER, and they were just some bleeding, and police were in there. And it was just, you know, real bedlam. And, and it's the only game in town for people. You know, it's the only place that, you know, and they were just, and I said, well, are they going to wait there all night? And they, yes, yeah, some wait there all night. And um, so not enough facilities to take care of the people, uh, unfortunately, getting harmed in, uh, by whatever means, drug overdoses, gunshot wounds, car accidents, um, domestic problems. A lot of these people wind up in the ER. And we had to just, like I said, to pass them kids that get hurt, parents abusing kids, kids getting in fights. Um, and uh, that was certainly an eye-opener as to our society, as to, you know, where things stand. And I can tell you that um, another weird thing was seeing, um, you know, people are kind of, enjoying the fact that uh, that people are rejecting the New World Order. Uh, I'm here to tell you that not everyone's rejecting the New World Order. Now, the hospital was like being in the New World Order, literally. Everything was authoritarian. You know, the doctor had the order. Didn't matter whether the order is right or wrong. The nurse will carry it out. And it, it goes up and down the chain like that, even if it's wrong. There is no check and balance in that case, okay? And I was just thinking that if our society was like that, how much incompetence there would be. I mean, it would be incredible, you know. Uh, but there are people that want uh, this world order, if you will, and are willing... Uh, to fight for it. In other words, if they see Trump in there as president, you know, the the answer is Green Day's new record. Green Day came out with a record, they're, you know, anti-Trump, but on the record it shows riots and burning down the, you know, burning down the city. So that's Green Day for you. So Green Day trying to be, and the only reason they're doing that is because the fans of Green Day agree with that and they figure they got enough millions of people that are going to be rioting and burning down cities so they could be right in there selling their records right I feel they have you know I mean I'm not blaming them they're just you know just like everybody else uh, subject to mind control and, and subject to their opinions and you know obviously have been swayed by all the uh 
propaganda about the America's ill-founding and Obama's rhetoric, which was, you know, which was not based on historical fact. You know, the Indians were good people and the evil white Europeans came here and they were the slavers. And then if you read anything about slavery or any of this, there were every group, no matter what color, was enslaved. And the biggest slavery going on in the world today and the biggest slavery, the biggest slavery that's, that's bigger than any slavery of any time in world history is the Mexican border and sex trafficking of children and women. And I've been pointing this out for years, but it's not, and not just women and children for sex, but also, uh, you know, slavery by, you know, uh, 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 able-bodied uh, males who can be put to work in various capacities. Like I saw them when we were in Waco, and we saw a bunch of them being trained. They have training centers. So they bring in the immigrants. They take them to, like, Waco to the Marriott Courtyard. They're down in the basement area where they have these classrooms. And they're teaching all these kids that they bring in. They're ma- ma- all males, all, uh, you know, middle-aged, you know, 25 to 35 to 40. And they're training them, and they dress them up with clothing, and they give them, you know, they have to take notes and everything. And then in these white trucks, these contractor trucks, they take these, uh, these you know, young, able-bodied workers to work, to their various, wherever they take them. They're not just wandering around the country getting free stuff. They're expected to, uh, you know, when they're recruited, they're, they're, they're actually illegally teaching them, training them, putting them to work, but they have to do the job. Now, they may be getting perks and all that, but they have to do the other thing they do is they export these, some of these, just like they export the children, they export the women. They don't just go to cities around the country. They're exported to wherever the need is. Uh, if there's a need for children, they, t- they send the children there. Or the women, or wherever the brothels are. Where, you know, there's... How many in Albuquerque? There's thousands. Yeah. When I say brothels, what do I mean? I mean apartment houses, Section 8 housing, uh, where people can go and have sex with minor children by someone's there to take your money and they let you into a room, you know, in a seedy apartment building. That's a brothel. Well, they're all over. They're all over New Mexico. And they're all over Arizona. Texas. Texas, they're all over Texas. And it's a real epidemic. Well, we, we warned about this on 20 and 20. We warned and warned and warned. It was my main thing. And, and I said to people, how could you like Trump? And, and Trump, you know, he's, a, he's an awful, rude, asshole guy. I said, because he put human trafficking as number one on the agenda. He made, July, he made January... The Human Trafficking Awareness Month of women, children, modern-day slavery, and it is modern-day slavery. So Biden would be the biggest slaver in the history of the world, and all the people that he's enslaving are people of color. Need, may I rest my case, Your Honor? 
May I rest my case, you good people listening today, tonight, whenever you're listening. Do you understand that I am not saying something that is untrue, but it is truth that we are enslaving people of color more so than ever during uh, the, the founda- founding of, 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 of the United States. And further to that, uh, white people have also been enslaved uh, in the past and great numbers, higher than, than the numbers here in the United States. So we give all this lip service to slavery here, but we don't give any attention to slavery elsewhere and the fact that every group has been enslaved and went from one time to another. That's why we fight for freedom. Okay, so listen. The United States and the UN, and for that matter, you could just take you know the oligarchs, are the biggest slave organization because human trafficking, folks... Uh, now we're segueing into something really interesting. Human trafficking is slavery. Child trafficking is all sex trafficking, and it is slavery. Um, forced labor camps all over the world, especially run by the U.S. government and underground agencies, and uh, and 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 these various. Uh, the UN and all these different, uh, you know, uh, non-government, non-NGOs, okay, can employ these people uh, and force them into labor. Now, we hear about people coming in here and they get a color TV and they get a car and they get a, a Democrat Party voting card and they get a what else do they got? They get a haircut. They get. You should see these kids in Waco. They all have like brand new Nikes. They had brand new togs. Yeah, we walked up and down the hall and they kicked us out because they're doing something clandestine and illegal. Okay, and we were there on the spot. And I, I wish I could have broken it up. I wish I was an officer, but officers have no. Um, they have no jurisdiction. You can't break that stuff up. Now, you know, these guys look like they were being trained to do work and probably they're, they're being assimilated and they would be paid. But not everybody is being... Being paid doesn't necessarily mean you're not a slave also. Just ask anyone who works in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I work in Hollywood and I got a house up in, up in Mulholland in the Hollywood Hills... How come I still feel like a slave? Because you are. All you Hollywood people are slaves. That's the way it's always been from day one. You want to work here, you toe the line. What is the first thing you learn how to do? You turn your gaze away from Babylon and do not judge and keep your mouth shut. And then you can slide up the ladder and uh, do what's expected of you. Do what we expect you to do, what we trained you to do, you know, which is basically be a moron, okay? And then you can get your awards at your little ceremonies, and you can pretend you're being charitable at your 
Beverly Wilshire events for the cancer drive. And all those drives are fake, because I know, because my grandfather was the head of cancer and all those, you know, all those charities. And uh, the only reason that those even exist is to give more publicity to the celebrities and the people on the way up in society. You know, so that's fake. So where is there peace when you start thinking about all that? You start, you start feeling like, well, why should I get out of bed in the morning? Well, because so, so you're needed. I'm needed. God would not have spared me. And that was a, a lot of, I just, you know, financially, what kind of a bill do you think I ran up? Hmm? Really, a lot of people would have said, well, this old geezer, 69 years old, is it really worth it spending this much money to, uh, you know, to get him, you know, to, to, to make him a cripple on the street? I mean, you know, is this really worth it? Uh, should we have a Bill Gates death panel? You know. Now, a lot of talk's been banding about about aliens and, you know, the Miami uh, sort of holographic uh, display showed the total incompetence of Miami Police Department. That was the biggest story to me in Miami. I'm segueing because I, I don't want to, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. You know, the, we've been talking about this modern day slavery and human trafficking and prostituting kids and women and men and various other people. Uh, at the border and shipping them out to points unknown where there are pimps who wait in the plane lands and they all get work cards and they all look legit but they're all working for the pimp and the pimp network goes all over the United States and it's all under Biden the biggest slave driver in the history of the entire world by a magnitude of who knows how many times more. You know, more than Genghis Khan or more than Julius Caesar, I don't know. But uh, it's incredible. And um, the stories are just, they don't even care, like, if the kids come anymore with parents or guardians or anybody. They just grab them and a van pulls up, just to tell you what happens. A van pulls up with, with someone with no credentials whatsoever who says they're working for so-and-so, gives them a name. That's good enough to pass. They pile the kids in the van. There are people in there to handle the kids. And they take off. And they're never heard or seen, you know, there's, and there's no accountability. So this is a... Uh, and it's hard for me to believe... You know, as I'm watching this burgeoning of this rebound of football, these people all screaming with one voice for the Detroit Lions today, and how they were, you know, all would sing with one voice. Again, I hadn't seen anything like that since Nazi Germany, really. This desperate need of people to get together and celebrate the football team and the big win. And... Um, And the commercials, mainly about fast food, 
and uh, and and gambling, and um, people caught up in, in in the culture, oblivious to everything that's going on around them, uh, except for what their TV tells them, and they're desperately clean. Now, now I, you know, watch sports only because when I was in the hospital, I was had a lot of lonely, you know, lone time, and I had. On my laptop, so I could watch, you know, some games and some movies. To me, movies and games are about the same thing. The movies they make with the hopes of getting a lot of people to like the movie so they can make a lot of money. And so people will have their bread and circus. So they'll be occupied and they'll really love the movie. And then they'll love it and tell their friends. And their friends will love it too. And it will be their way of getting through life. Add sports to it. Now you really got a double, a double whammy. You got movies, TV series. Uh, you know, don't forget documentary series, and and you know talk you know talk shows, and then you've got sports, and it's going on. You know, there are thousands of choices every day. It just goes on all day long. And, you know, pretty soon I started singing the, the Burger King commercial. Have you, I've heard it so many times. It's like, no, really, I learned all the commercials. BK, how's it go? BK, have it your way. You rule. If I see that thing again, I'm going to explode. I, I'm just telling you, uh, you, you know, and, and, and yeah, you have to kind of, so anyway, I was considered to be, um, some nurses considered me to be violent, you know, that, that because I would uh, talk back. And um, had I not talked back, I don't think yours truly would be here right now. So what would you rather have? I can tell you anybody that goes into these situations, when they start telling you, here is your Tylenol, and here is your eloquous and here is your blah 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 you know when they say keep saying you know the 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 pronoun you know your 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 kimono dragon you know your uh you know here is your glass of water here is your dinner here are your drugs each one has your name on it um but I don't know. I don't understand the reason for that policy of telling everybody. There were drugs coming in I never even recognized, I never even seen before. And they said, here is your so-and-so. Oh, really? I don't recall, you know, uh, owning that. Well, the doctor just put the order in. Yes, but I don't need it. Okay. And then if you say you don't need it, you know what they do? They don't give it to you. Imagine how many people don't question. And did you know that if you question, if you say you don't want it, they can't give it to you by law? Isn't that something? But most people just do what they're told. Sad. So what do we do about it? Nothing. I'm just making some fun observations. Because to me, at this point... You've got to break off any expectation 
except that you're living in interesting times. And thank God you're not bored out of your mind, you know? And 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 really, you know, I, I know you've heard the phrase, double down on God, double down on Jesus, you know? Jesus is God. Jesus is actually the, the ultimate explanation of um, reality, being the Alpha and the Omega, but... Uh, or being the cornerstone rejected by the builders. The builders are the world. And I don't, I'm not meaning to go over anybody's head here, but I'm just saying Jesus is not like just a man, as that manifestation was all about salvation of souls for sinners. Because as I look around the world, I see that I'm a sinner, but so is everybody else. So I can't save myself because I'm here. I'm in it. I'm in this environment. I was born. I inherited this. So I need to be saved. Though I remain a sinner, I still sin. How can that be? How can that be fair? And the thing is, it's not fair. It's It's pure love and compassion by the creator God, you know. But in the end, I can tell you this, everything that is actually exists and everything that's real, you know, and everything that, that, you know, when I say actually exists or reality itself is in itself connected to God, even, you know, people. So I don't, I don't feel so bad that people are lost. It's the ignorance during the experience of life that causes pain to everyone, including the, the victim themselves. Mo- everyone that's born here is born a victim. Some people decide to, you know, play play ball the world's way and try to make that victimhood into something special, you know, a winner, a, 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 a winner, whatever the fuck that is. And because uh, there are no winners here. You know, there are no winners. I mean, the only way you win is really by losing that ego or losing this idea that it's about you and your happiness and at the same time carrying forth with purpose and being led by the living God and being, you know, the only anxiety then is is self-questioning, am I really connected to God or am I going to be left behind or how is this going to work? How can I connect and be, you know, all there and not here in my stinking, rotten flesh? And the answer is there is no way that you can do anything. You actually, I watch these great athletes. Well, they can move around the football and they can run down the field. And they do a fantastic job. I I mean, I love watching. You know, and I real I recognize the sacrifice a lot of these young men have made, and women have to 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 be uh, extraordinary athletes and 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 entertain. Thank you for entertaining me. You're not, you know, buying your mansion and all that really doesn't matter to me. All I want you to do is just entertain me, okay? You're there for me. Just like I'm not here for myself. I'm only here because God put me here, so the only purpose I have is God. That's it. Any other purpose I come up with for myself 
is ridiculous. But if God puts me in something like being an athlete, well, then I'm going to give that to God and I'm going to do everything I can do and go, go, go as hard as I can to, uh, you know, for God rather than just for my own ego. And probably that will actually make me do better in, uh, in performance than if I just, you know, acted on my own behalf. If I'm acting on behalf of the kingdom of God, I'm, I'm going to just do everything I can and more and go that extra 150% or even, you know, unto death if necessary. Because there is nothing for me. There is nothing. If you took me out, look, I just about died. Okay, so at least I have that in my recent history. And in fact, when I was gone, my mind was wiped and everything. I was pretty much dead right at that moment. So let's just say I, I died. I came back. There was nothing for me in death. The only way that death can be meaningful to me is if I know I'm connected to the Most High, to, to all things. If I'm disconnected, even in my mind, even if that a lot of philosophers would say that's not possible, everything is connected to consciousness or God. And, um, you know, I understand the point they're trying to make. Um, but, but it's not exactly... If that worked, then David Lynch's theory about transcendental meditation would work, and it doesn't work. And um, it may work for the individual to calm a person down or to give people insights. But for the ultimate answer, the ultimate positioning of the soul within the micro-macro cosmos and beyond time and space. The only actual thing that can, can actually make it all, put it all together, make it all work, is if you are taken, really taken to the promised land of all the knowledge. If you're taken, you have to be, you know, taken there. In John 17, it says that Jesus, I keep coming back to this, was given all the souls that are that God wanted to give him. And, and his job was to protect, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know, forgive me for the loose interpretation, but it's, it's true. Uh, it was given all these souls to protect while in having the earthly experience, but to be preserved for God in the end. And then in the end, it's like, okay, so all is one with God. Jesus, people, God, these other terms, we might, other pronouns, other terms, all one. All one thing. But what do you mean Jesus preserved us? What does that mean? Now we're getting down the nitty gritty here. How is it, is that why things have been so screwed up? That Jesus preserved us. Jesus preserved us. It's almost if you if you excluded God from the equation of Earth, then you would say, "Well, I'm just going to wait here till the end." Which you know the Bible is pretty much adamant against that. You don't work, you don't eat, you don't participate, you don't live. So you, you've got, you know, God's gun to your head, so to speak. It's like, you know, you've you got to live. 
But then how do you relinquish that I and mine and that... Um, and, and the reason that you do that is because in the end, it doesn't serve you. It's just vanity. It's empty. It has no meaning. It has no sustenance. It does not help your grandchildren. It, it does nothing. It helps nothing. But you say, well, you're giving your all for uh, whatever your pursuits are. Why do you put so much effort and work into those? Because it's not about me. If it was about me, I'd be more lazy and wouldn't put as much work into those things. I do it because you forget the feeling like you're being watched. And you know, there, there, there's, you know, this is not just about you. There's a lot of people watching you that you may not be able to see. They, they, you know, they, around the throne of God, there's many beings and creatures and there's all kinds of uh, attention put onto this thing. Also, I think we can call it a simulation to an extent where there's a battle over it. But uh, what the bad guys want to do is make their own simulation out of silicone. You know that. You know, the silicone, what a joke. They're from Silicon Valley, and they want to make you and everybody else silicone. You know, how, how in, insipid, pedantic, and, and, and futile... Some someone's retarded philosophy would be uh, and then there's a madman like Bill Gates who believes he is God 100% or at least the ambassador of the gods and that he he and his Buddies have to save the planet. He doesn't believe that God would do anything or God has anything to do with it or that there's any conscious being named God or any, any conscious uh, anything, that everything is random and if it weren't for him, things would be a lot worse. Even though now he's what we might call a martyr in the sense that... Uh, Bill Gates is plugging along, trying to save the planet from overpopulation, everything else he's trying to do. And all he's getting now is opposition and a bunch of shit. Where he's trying to help people. And he's trying to make life on Earth good. That's why he wants to blot the sun out and basically turn it all against carbon and into a silicon situation so it's safe. So it's safe. Eventually, euthanasia for the purpose of freeing your soul into the digital realm where you could be like in an Oculus nightmare for the, rest of, for the rest of eternity that someone else controls in their simulation. And who knows how many simulations like that are there, but there's only one God. And the real God is no simulation. Everything else is a simulation. The fact that man is allowed to manipulate the earth means he can create a sub-simulation out, out of this situation, use predictive programming, uh, propaganda, mind control, and all the tools to try to get it their way. But you see, they're just still not happy. Now they got to go to World War III. Now, World War III, should that commence, will um, kill a lot of people. 
and you know, and it, it it could be something that you know you wake up to, and all of a sudden, you know, the sirens are going, the the the, the, the infrastructure is cut off, things are going down the tubes. Uh, we know this, and we have this already understood, and yet we are, um, and, and 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 you know, and and I, when I was talking about this Lions game. And how they were all, you know, in unison and, you know, um, chanting together, screaming at the other team. A town that had been written off and people that had been written off and a team that had been written off had that kind of enthusiasm. Was showing me something else. You know, and and I, you know, I did give it a little bit of criticism there because of, you know, bread and circus shouldn't really be. Man, can you imagine that much enthusiasm for the Lord? But the Lord will never be, you know, completely popular because uh, the Lord, you know, brings into account free will. It's either my way or the highway, God says. You know what I mean? So most people are not willing to do something God's way. But, um... That's okay. Seeing that kind of unity, and I'm seeing that with all the football games this year, where it was dead. They're they're selling Bud Light again. You got uh, what's his name, the quarterback Manning, out there throwing Bud Lights around everybody, and everybody is just so thrilled. And I'm I I watch as. I don't think there's anything more horrific than I've ever seen than television. I don't think there's anything more horrific and more... I don't think there's anything more soul-crushing than television, especially when when it's promoting, like, the St. Jude Hospital or something like that. Do you know what I mean? I I, I, I hope you understand. Um, by putting forth an image of the world that just isn't true. You know, call, go ahead and call up St. Jude and see if you can get your kid in there. Um, I, I'm, And sometimes you wonder, well, what is it? It's called promotion and advertising for Satan. Here comes the word Satan. Are you ready for Satan? Are you ready for Satan? Huh? Satan will give you your dreams. Will give you the will give you the uh, object of your heart. Will give you powers of witchcraft and powers of control over others. Satan will give you influence over the whole world. Satan will make the world your oyster. And all you have to do. It's really the mirror image of Jesus. You either abide in Satan, which is the culture. The culture is Satan. I mean, to the extent that I'm completely absorbed in the TV and commercials and the Lions game today, not that it was that great, not that I enjoyed it that much. I fell asleep a couple times. But I didn't, I was, who knows what I'm thinking when I'm watching stuff like that. But I, 
I'll tell you one thing I did think. I did think how at one point in the hospital, I was thinking how awful if my life was looking around at Netflix for a phone to watch or a sports or ESPN to find a game to watch. And this is, the, this is it for the, that's it. The, the rest of my life is solitary confinement. Then I realized, my God, I'm in solitary confinement around all these people. None of us actually occupy the space of anyone else. We don't really come together. We don't, um, when, when the Satanists say, oh, we're all having it up. Well, I've seen them. I've seen them on their Caribbean islands. I've seen them on their yachts. They don't know each other, friends. And so let me make a provocative statement to you. Satanists do not know one another. They don't know each other. They suspect one another. They are suspicious of one another, but they don't know one another. Even those people that are the slave drivers, those Satanists who have many slaves underneath them who are also Satanists, they still don't know who their slaves are. And they don't know who their spouses are. And they don't know who their uh, secretaries are at the, at the job. They don't know. They, they're, they're occupying a space and they're doing an act as if I know who you are. As if I'm friends with you. As if we're really good buddies. And um, the only way that can be established is, of course when people go through things. But the object of Satan is divide and conquer. So while you're feeling so friendly, living as a commercial, you know, trying to emulate the Bahamas, I saw a show called How to Live in the Bahamas Cheap. It went all day long. One house after another, how you can quit your job and move to the Bahamas and have an idyllic life for the rest of your life living like a retiree in the Bahamas, having your best life. And it showed this woman completely alone. And she said, I'm living the life of my dreams. And I've got all my friends I've gathered. And it shows all the friends around the table, you know, having wine and cheese or whatever, listening to music, looking out at the Baha- the Bahamian ocean or whatever's out there and um, they look like total strangers except they were told to hang out and you know look like they're having fun I've seen this every I've seen this all my life but I never really could identify it I just thought everybody was friends with everybody they knew each other they'd been they've been to each other's orgies they've been uh, their kids grew up together they've been maybe some of them in fights and they made up But that's not really what constitutes knowing a person. There's got to be something deeper than that. And then I realized that the only way that you could actually know someone, it's it's sort of like the, uh, the Internet. Like you'd have to be on the same bandwidth or the same uh, Wi-Fi signal in order to broadcast your phone onto the TV. 
right? It's like you've you got to be on the same broadcast channel in order to know that other person. So, you know, take channel Jesus, which most people don't understand what Jesus is. So there's no sense explaining it to them. They'll never get it. Even if you, you could say it a hundred million times and they won't understand you. Trust me on that. I've, I've done it maybe not a hundred million times, but I've, believe me, I've had years where it's in one ear and out the other. You know what I mean? It just, it is the way it is. But um, in Christ, I can know my brother. And I can know my sister. And I can get in there in the trench. And I can help that person. No matter how bloody it gets. You know what I'm saying? I can really know, you know, God's gift in bringing us an, uh, another person to to know, and I'm enriched by the by the fact that I do know that person. And sometimes suffering comes between people, and people misunderstand each other, and they get mad at each other, you know. And then when they make up, because in Christ we always we always want to make up. We never want to leave have an argument that we don't later come back and and try to try to reason. About, you know, and then that brings us even closer into connection with really God's kingdom, what God's doing with, the, the, you know, multiple humans. Because you might wonder, well, how many, how many, if, if we're all one with God, then what is this multiple human thing about? Why do we have multiple humans? Why not have, why have any? Why have multiple anything? Why have multiple planets? If God is God and that's it, there doesn't need to be any creation. You know, that's getting esoteric. But um, the only way you could actually know that is is you'd have to know the need for multiplicity, for creation. And if you're around a bunch of people that, like mo- a lot of people I know that, that you know, they've, they've, they've gotten the celebrity, they've gotten the, you know, the fame, they've gotten the, the rock stardom, they've gone to the party, they didn't, none of that was satisfied because... You know, I said, well, you know, here's the thing. You were never really there. You're putting on an act. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for honoring me. Oh, I'm so happy that I was able to buy a Lambo and a, um, you know, and, and a Rolex. I am so, you know, happy to be riding around on this yacht and in this uh, Bentley and be included in all these things but I'm miserable because I don't know any anyone around me I don't know anything even kids that were in the same neighborhood that might have made the grade that I I go to see them as hey Joe remember when we were no Joe's got other fish to fry we're not going to really sit around and reminisce are we no, we've got to we've got to put on a smile, and we got to show our gratitude for society treating us so well and making us so rich. You know that uh, what do we really need to know anyone else for? We just need a good lawyer, and need to worry about the IRS, and got to make sure that we, uh, you know. So therefore, we're not real. None of us are real, but the public doesn't know that. But we're all spitting in our own. 
our own orbit when the entire thing in Christ we own it all it's ours everything all the Lambos right? all the planets all the air there's nothing we lack and we've been so turned into this idea of you know not enough and barely hanging on and not going to make it and you know tragedy everywhere we look and horror of what man will do to man and and then we say you know it wouldn't be so bad to die look how bad and look how painful the world is like we just can't get anywhere in the world unless we play ball with satan you know, and then if we get somewhere in the world, even if we don't play ball with Satan, they'll accuse us of playing ball with Satan. So you can't win either way. But then the, then the question becomes, what do you care what other people think? People that you're never going to know anyway, and people that, that you can make an argument, they don't even exist. You know, the world doesn't matter. And what the world says to us, uh, you're good, you're bad, you're, you know, judges you, whatever, is irrelevant. There's only one judge. And, um, but if you want to get to know someone, I do believe, and when I say no, I mean, you know, the gift of sharing, you know, prayer, let's say, or you know, real concerns. Now, I know people that they'll give the real concerns to each other and they don't, they may not know God, they may not know anything about anything, but they share their worries together. But it doesn't really last. It's not really deep. It doesn't really, you know, it kind of lasts till the next guy gets there. Right? The next guy gets there and the worries shift from one guy to another. Did I tell you about my problem with my kid? Well, let me tell you. The former guy just got tired of listening to it, so now I'm going to tell you. And so we go like that from person to person, lover to lover, hater to hater, and nothing is real. And eventually you get to an existential crisis like me, where it's either going to be, okay, fish or cut bait. You know what I mean? It's like, shit or get off the pot. It's, you know, you've seen enough now. You know, you know enough now. This should be, you should know by now what's going on. You should really know it by now. There shouldn't be any more questions. There shouldn't be any more searching. There shouldn't be any more, you know, wondering or going to your friends and asking them their opinion of how you're doing. That those days should have been gone a long time ago. Or worry about whether or not you're going to make the grade. That should have been gone. But if you want to pursue something, you know, I do have some advice for people that want to make the grade on their own terms just because they want to, just because they're, just because they're inspired. 
Well, by all means, go with that inspiration, but you need to work a lot harder. Because now, you see, you've got God pushing that inspiration. Because everybody needs to be inspired by something. Everyone has to work at something. So God assigns all these things, you know. Like you might, you know, share uh, in my love of music or the arts or whatever. Someone else might be an accountant. Someone else might be a doctor. Someone else may be a, a janitor. It really doesn't matter. You know, but uh, it's... While that's going on, what's going on interiorly? Well, I'm worried what people think. I'm worried about I'm worried about my friend who's sick. I'm worried about my wife pulling through her operation. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about all these things. And uh, it's all painful. And it has me bogged down to where I'm not feeling any joy, really. I'm feeling a kind of a lack of uh, enthusiasm for anything. I think I've been there, done that, seen it. I've seen it all now. What more could there be except a nuclear holocaust? That would that'd be the cherry on top, right? Okay, so a lot of people want to understand what to do. Or, or you could listen to now most of the talk radio, or most of the, a lot of these shows are, have all caught up with each other and they're all warning about, you know, doomsday. And then everyone gets caught up in a kind of a doomsday scenario, like those fucking Russians are going to have to fire the nukes because Biden's trying to get us in a war with uh, Poland and it's going to, you know, trigger, you know, uh, Putin, and then that's going to trigger Iran, and then the next thing you know, we're going to be in a conflagration, all created so that we, the people, would never get our world back. So World War III is also a ruse, like everything they do, to distract everyone from the idea of being able to live as a free human being on Earth. Yes, I'm, I'm well aware of this whole thing. It's just I don't watch it tick, 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 minute by minute. I know what they're up to. We've been talking about the fact that, the, that you know, if any nukes hit the United States, Biden will have been the one to watch them. Or, the le- just, or, or who he works for, the left. Who, and the left is really the globalist. And the globalist is really the authoritarian, totalitarian. If you like, I just call them the lizards. They, they, they work for off-world intelligences. Some describe as reptilian. I, I have no care to describe them in any way, shape, or form. I don't care. But there's something guiding them. The occultists, the astronomers, or I should say, I'm sorry, astrologers, the Freemasons, the, uh, the secret society members, um, you know, uh, the, the Lucifer worshipers, the, the apotheosis, something is guiding them into this, you know, new world of, of uh, no carbon, meaning no human beings. Now, who would that be? Somebody that didn't want human beings in the first place. Okay, so the ancient spiritual battle. That alone should define who we are. 
right? So we're on the side of God. But there aren't two sides. There's only one side. The other side is called ignorance. That you don't know what you're doing. Gates. Uh, who are you? BlackRock. And the rest of you money matter. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. You can't think. You can't move. You don't know what's good for people. You don't. You just actually are a blight because you're stupid. You can manage numbers and money, but you can't seem to do the simplest thing, which is understand what a human being is. And if you could understand that, um, but you can't. And uh, to you, you know, uh, gaining control of a thing means to destroy it, whatever it is. If you could destroy the moon and the sun and everything else, you would have already done it. And that's all you know. You're kind of like a caveman. You're pretending to be an intellectual with uh, childish uh, voices like Harari out there drawing pictures of you know, chimeras of lions and half people and half lions. And you're, you're worshiping your CERN collider, which is now how many miles long? How, how long do you want to make your, you know, underground Tower of Babel? There are people that are actually afraid of that. They say, well, all these demons are coming up about that. The demons don't need a physical tunnel to manifest on Earth. Okay? They don't need someone to build a collider to, to conjure them forth as a big magic trick. They actually don't need magic at all. They don't need humans to actually do anything. That's not the governing force. Okay, and with that I'm going to... Off I go. Yeah, if you feel like praying for me to get my legs back, that'd be great. Let's hope it can happen. I am walking around on a walker. I can only go very short distance, and I have to sit down, and I'm kind of huffing and puffing, and I have to take oxygen, you know. But um, that's better than when I started. Much better. Much better, right? Yes. Thank you so much, all of all of you. That here's Trish. For staff, we really appreciate it. It seems to me. Okay. Seems to me. I don't want to talk about it, seems to me. No, I'm really grateful that Zeph is home, and I'm really grateful for all your prayers throughout this whole uh, voyage. And uh, he's getting stronger, a lot stronger. I think he's starting to realize that he's getting stronger, even though we've had a few incidents along the way. He's really turned the corner, and... Even though he feels wobbly, he's not. Because I'm holding the strap, and he is not wobbly. He's yeah, going for Yeah, but I, I, I do feel... And we start the uh, physical therapy uh, guys coming here on Tuesday. That'll be his first time. And I think that's going to be, what, two or three times a week? I just think God wants me to uh, 
you know, kind of like, like I was praying for people in the hospital, you know, to understand what being, um, you know, uh, uh, being disabled really is. Yeah. Because I didn't really, you know, I, you know, but until you experience it yourself, yeah. you don't, now I have a whole new appreciation of people that, well, people that have uh, what they call mobility issues. Okay. That's a nice way of putting it. But, um, you know, people that need assistance. Like I was just thinking, let's say I wanted to fly somewhere. Well, I need someone to take me to the, you know, to wherever the uh, airport is. And I'd have to be wheeled somehow to the plane. At this point. But and then I'd have to be, be moved into a chair. In your dream. Yeah, I'd have to be moved into a chair with a wheelchair. God knows where it's. I wouldn't be able to go to the bathroom. Just think about this. So I'd probably have to have some kind of catheter where I'm not telling anybody that I have a, a urine bag attached to my leg, which, which you know, I mean, I mean, these are the things I'm telling you. This is the stuff you don't realize that people go through. And then I'd fly somewhere, and then they'd have to, like, you know, get the chair, get me off the plane, well, and get me into a some sort of vehicle that could handle the chair or transfer from the seat I'll tell you what, to the other I'm seat. I'm getting better at loading the wheelchair in the back yeah. of the car. Yeah, lately... At I, first, it was really hard. I was like, oh, well, my that God. That chair is pretty light. It's only about, what, about 45 pounds. Yeah, but uh, what has to happen is if I go from the chair up into the... Uh, we have, a you know, a, an SUV... Um, pretty tall and I have to get up on the running board first and sometimes you know in the first the leg was going to give out I have to do it a certain way and then kind of swing into the seat sort of from there and swing the legs over mm-hmm. and then shut the door I think and then, and then gotten really good at that though because no now we've only done, uh, we've only done that even though you're you feel unsteady you're a lot more steady than you think you are because I'm holding the strap. But still, there's a running board. Yeah. So you got to step up one mm-hmm. and then step up to, into the car. So there's a second step Two up. Two steps, yeah. And then uh, you've Just got... Just like getting down into the living room. And then you have to put the wheelchair, it folds and you put it in the back and then we drive. Oh my God, that wheelchair is rather... No, I, mean, I know it's a big look hassle. At my, my, look at my muscle in my arm though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, here's another. I'm getting strong. So obviously, the the goal then is for me to um, graduate to a walker that's you know more a little more sporty than these. That you know they have brakes and they have a little seat. We found a great uh, shop down in Albuquerque where they sell the wheelchair and all that, and they have those. They have those. Right there's that next level, but that's really for people who can walk that need assistance. I'm not at that level yet, but it, but see, once you get there, then that thing is light, and you can throw that in the car easily. It's not a chair. Then the next level, of course, after that, would be something like a cane, I guess. But you had your dreams at where you were running. I I woke up this morning and I f- felt like I was going to jump out of bed and go do go get a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and then I realized I that I my foot my foot hit the chair. My chair is at the end of the bed. And I realized, oh, 
I'm, I don't have... Little by little. Where did the legs go? What the hell happened? You, were, you had a bad infection, honey. But I think... You're recovering. You are yeah. recovering. You're, the infection is gone. Now we have to get the strength back. And we will. Well, that's... Uh, the strength, unfortunately. Think positive, buddy. It's like the oxygen. The no o- negativity. The oxygen um, has been, you know, keeping the oxygen up at the right level has been uh, also a challenge in the sense that if you don't have the oxygen, you can just run out. Everything can just go down. So it's... Uh, he still but, has scars on his hand from punching out the MRI machine. <laughs> yeah, that was... He's got some sexy scars. Yeah. Uh, quite a few holes they punched in him. Yep, they, uh, they did some... They had their fun. But, but they got it out of there. But I did live, so, you know, I can't... Uh, there's no complaints. I just had to mention a couple of the evil things that happened because, you know, there's there's a... It, it, for people that have not been in this situation, there's a... Um, you can't be passive. You have to be, but you can't be bossy, authoritative, or, or confrontational either. No, you have to be really polite. You got to be really polite. Really? that's That was my main... Um, you hear that, my friend, uh, my one ally over there? You got to play the game. <laughs> that was really cool meeting him. And, and, I, I, and hope, I apologize. Right. I tried and to I'd like to. You. Yeah, I hope we can get together again. But, but I, I failed so far. I'll just have an open invitation here to the uh, Hacienda here. Yeah. Anyway. He was a long time uh, Zeph report. Yeah. He uh, said, you can't die, Zeph. I need at least three hundred yeah, more. Yeah, Jeffrey yeah, that, that, that was a lot. That was very <laughs> sweet, funny. Very sweet. That was very funny, and uh, but I understand the need to cope, and we can cope. Listen, a million bad things happen to to lambs every day, just because of not being part of the system, or just you know the system is not, um, you know, you, you know you fill out your uh, census form or your social security number. The system is spiritual. And so then they recognize that difference, yeah. And they and they manifest and and you know if it's the, in the case of a care person like a care doctor, so they they can just overlook over medicating you. You know what I mean? There's just things that can happen. Is why we have to be constantly sober, be vigilant, and watch out because you know, um, the Lord. I mean, the, the Satan runs around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And so there's always this vigilance. But I didn't make myself like this. You know, I didn't make my... I in no way wanted to fight with anyone. I didn't want to fight with my family or the friends or, you know, the peers in the school. I never wanted to fight anyone, but God made me the way he made me. It's like... Lady Gaga singing her satanic glee. She was made that way. You know, I guess she's referring to sex or something. I don't know. Something mundane and childish. Of course. What else would she be referring to? 
something important. <laughs> Airhead, what? You know, no, nothing. Nothing. She'd be referring to nothing except for sex. You know, I was made to want this kind of sex or that. I was made to uh, become uh, a trans kid. I was made to do this. How dare you question me? And then we're off to the races because we know that sex, we know that sex, the urges of sex, can completely manipulate people into horror if left unchecked because everything is everything in the end everything's everything goes no taboos and then it becomes you know just uh just a random uh, apocalyptic um it, it actually goes to i don't care anymore I don't care anymore because I can do anything I want to do. So I don't care about you. And I don't care about me. I don't care about the world. I don't care what, if it blows up. I don't really care about anything. Because, uh, because everything is everything. And so this philosophy of Satan is designed to open the flood ba- banks of self-annihilation. And that is a posi- that is a legitimate position, self-annihilation. But, but usually these people want to take everyone with them. Because it wouldn't be a true annihilation unless, you know, everybody died at the same time, you know, unless I could just destroy the human race. So that's my, those are my thoughts. I, I'm, um, I feel there's some people out there that need to be warned about certain things. Just put it this way. I'm just going to pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you would just soothe all the hearts that are broken and all the people that are worried, Lord, and all the people that are having fun that know something is around the corner and they don't want the fun to end, but they're worried about what's going to happen. All of these people, Lord, help them. Help them understand that nothing is around the corner, nothing to worry about. Nothing to fret about, not even what others think, that everything is fine, that you live in a, a world of, where all eyes are on you anyway, as a child of the living God, as a person that will be welcomed home at some point into the kingdom of God of which you are an heir in Christ, in which we're all joint heirs of everything. It's really quite a lovely vision. But at the same time, this world's symbolic. So that everything we go through here is just like in the kingdom, because nothing is separate. So everything is observed, everything is watched, everything we do is measured and watched and looked at. And, you know, what could bring true growth? And that would be seeing the Lord in everything. And so I would, that's why I head back to scripture. To, to see how, you know, there's, a, there's an inspiration there of seeing how God deals with totally imperfect people, total people that are they're like not heroes at all, and, um, you know, and helps them to overcome this. And what is this world for? It's for overcoming. 
but I'm not wor- I can't worry because Jesus overcame the world. I'm, and if you know I'm walking with Him, then I can't. I can't. If I worry, then I'm violating my free will choice of Jesus. I'm taking back my free will, if you will. So I believe God can heal me, okay? He will. And if I am healed, any of you on the fence, if you see me healed and running around without some kind of wheelchair or whatever, you know, some kind of assisted, you know, handicap thing, then you had better get on your face and apologize to God. Because there's no, you know what I mean? Even the doctors are scratching their heads. So that this is what I say. Here's the challenge right now. Those of you who well, how do I get my life to the Lord? Well, the only reason you're even hearing this is because the Lord's grabbing you. Or you wouldn't hear this podcast. Where else would this be coming from? Satan? Hollywood? Los Angeles? New York? Where would it be coming from? You hearing about this. Only God would use me to talk to you. And others. Certainly not me. Don't look at me like a cult leader. Not me alone. But certainly there's signs and indications that God's pulling you along. But if you see me walking around, you know, even look, then, then, then here's what my suggestion is. Get on your face, on your knees, and so will I. Thank you, Lord. Because I see the impossible every day get done with you. Yeah. And one of the big impossible things that we've experienced lately is the fact that we're alive. Is the fact we have another chance. You know, is the fact that, you know, if, like if you need help, you help someone else, right? If you, you know, if I've been, I've been able to do these podcasts, but I've been unable to respond to some, I'm involved in some, you know, project, uh, you know, I need to be communicative with my people, you know, and, and I have, una- I've been kind of weak and unable to really communicate with email and uh, phone calls are out. They've been tough on me because... I have trouble, you know, I have to breathe and like I said, I've got an oxygen issue and, you know, it's coming, it's better though, now, it's getting better, it's, I think it's going to recover and if it does, then that's another miracle, you have to get on your face. We're just going to play the drinking game, what we're going to do with Jesus, okay? The drinking game. Every time one of my legs works... Or I'm thriving in some physical way. You have to um, not just accept Jesus, but get on your face and thank Jesus for everything and realize that's your home. Not simply a man. Okay? You've got to do that for me. If you see me walking around, we'll just issue the challenge. Be like this. So every time I do something, or even say something that is miraculous, then... You, 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 you drop down and, and, and uh, stay there. No, you don't have to give me 20. Just drop down and stay there, face down. Okay? 
Every time you see the Lord move, in other words, anywhere. And we need to become more observant. Here's something we can do right now. Become 10 million times more observant when the Lord's moving. And then point it out. There's a million times I could have said something. I did say a lot of stuff in the hospital about God and about the Lord moving. But I didn't say enough. I didn't say enough. I didn't say enough. I could have, well, I'm going to now. I mean, I just, you know, we don't want to be like Peter. Peter is beloved, of course. But if we can help it, we don't want to deny Jesus. Right? When, when there's some true miracle that happens, we, we need to be thankful. We need to point it out. You know, God did this. The man didn't do this. This is a God thing because he cares for you. Because he knows you. And he can't just appear as a person and talk to you. But so he sends messengers and people that, that say something. Or maybe you look at a billboard and it hits you a certain way. Or you look at the TV or you look at this or that or a magazine. And you can see God's communicating with you and guiding you through these strange happenstance circumstances. Say. And then you just have to say, well, thank you, Lord, for getting me here. I mean, I'm in a, in a situation where we are in, you know, involved in independent film and, and, you know, in Europe and here. And then, you know, we had a dispute with somebody who was selling a film and just, you know, troubles and, you know, and, and, and good things, too. But it's, 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 a, it's a lot of problem solving. And I'm like, Lord, why did you put me back here? And then we started, and then I'm not back anywhere. I never was really running anything like this. But then all of a sudden I, I saw this film that I had been, I, I, we found a, uh, I'll give you a little tidbit of this because you need to know about my, the fact that I've been working as the head of this company, even in the hospital, mm-hmm. I was still working. Okay, because I felt like I had increased my IQ. Like when my mind came back, you know, after it was gone, I feel that God gave me some extra IQ points. So here's the thing, you know, meaning I could discern a problem easier, may you know, come up with a solution. So I found. A film that I did in 19, I think 1994, 1995, and um, I found a copy of it in the garage, and then I showed it to my partner in, in the business, Larry, and he uh, he wept like a like a baby. I'm like, whoa! I had discarded it because they ruined my mix, they ruined the dialogue, they ruined everything. I couldn't. I just couldn't hold out anymore. I ran out of money, and I couldn't. I tried to finish it. I couldn't finish it, and it just it became garbage in my garage. Okay, I happened to have a digital print of it. Believe it or not, even from that time, and that was for broadcast purposes. You know, in case a TV show wanted to broadcast it, which I don't think that'd be a good idea till it's finished. And then that made me cry because I couldn't stand watching it. I was, it, was, uh, it was about a woman that has three months to live and she's going to die. 
And then I wondered if the Lord had me dealing with this subject because I'm going to die. You know what I mean? So I got this haunting feeling during the time of restoring. So I told Larry, okay, he said, that should be out there. People should see that. You know, after he got done crying at the end of it, and I was like, well, okay. Um, I don't even know where, where to begin with. You know, there's some semi-famous actors in that from TV and different things, and it's, 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 it's kind of weird and quirky, but it deals with the subject pretty well and has a lot of very interesting things, but mainly, and this is weird, it has my daughter as the angel of death as a psychopomp, kind of, like an acting psychopomp. She doesn't really lead anyone from the deathbed to the, but she, she appears when you're going to die. And um, so it's about this woman that uh, is going crazy trying to hang on to the world while at the same time death is calling and it will not be denied. You could also look at it as a metaphor for God calling. But it, 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 it doesn't go into any of that, no religion. It, it doesn't really mention Jesus or nothing. I was really not, I was pretty lost myself then, but, you know, earnestly dealing with this subject and earnestly seeking myself. So, uh, finally, we started working on it. And, uh, you know, with the idea of releasing it and at least, you know, getting it into uh, proper festivals like Berlin and different places like that. But I won't be ready for that. It's coming too soon. And this is, it takes the time it takes, you know. Um, but we found the dialogue, the separate dialogue track, unedited, uncompressed, you know. And we found the uh, MX, you know, the music, we threw it out. We have another score. We have the Foley, uh, which is separated. And so we're able to start reconstruction. And um, so this guy in Barcelona, our, our camera genius friend, who's also the cinematographer on Girl Next, he, uh, he's restoring it to... Um, you know, we already have it restored to a certain, uh, like a pro-res type level, which is perfectly acceptable for broadcast, but now it's being restored to a CinemaScope, you know, top level. And so I watched the, the cut of it with the uh, uncom- with just the unedited dialogue, just, just straight, you know, rough where it should be in the movie, and it made it like I wept all the way. In fact, oh my God. I just couldn't stop crying. Because it was so... There was so much good stuff in it. And so many good things. And to have been derailed like that. And just left to the side of the road. Oh. You know, because I think I died too when this thing got sidelined. And I didn't even connect with it for a while. But anyway, so now we're, I don't know when I'll be done. It's a painstaking process of, you know, dialogue editing and 
it's it's got you know sound effects and then music. It's core. I got a you know meeting with the composer and then Larry's being a supervisor on it and it will be done when it's done. Yeah. But it will be very high quality, and it will be it will be like uh, restoring that period of time when we left L.A. Yeah. That period of time when we. Uh, Oh man, we were lost, so lost. <laughs> and uh, so you could look at that as a miracle too. The idea that we found a digital print that could then be restored to this. Why can it be restored to the like this 8K? Um, Cinemascope. Cinemascope. Why can that happen? Because of a thing called AI. Can, can take that 35 millimeter print and through all these video processes finally render it to be like a, uh, a studio print. And uh, so when that happens and the music happens, everything gets done, you know, it's, it's a kind of a quirky story. Very small, low budget film. I happen to have, at that time, a camera package from Panavision and I had 35 millimeters, you know, Kodak stock. I think it was Kodak. It might have been Fuji, but I, I had Kodak film and a great cinematographer. And um, we just knocked it out, you know. And uh, they gave us the uh, the package for free because it was my first directing effort. So they, they, Panavision people were very nice. They just gave us a free package. So I was like, okay, we'll use it. And um, so we were able to get the, uh, the film through production, but where we where we really got screwed was in post production. People just didn't give a shit, and they wouldn't help us. And we, I couldn't get what I needed, and so exhausted, I finally. And there were a lot of other things going on too that were, you know, ruining my life. So I. I basically, you know, collapsed, gave up, left, and then I found it again years later. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, we decided let's do something with it. So that's what's happening. It's up and we're doing the best we can. It's uh, got um, the sound people on it. It's got the uh, camera, you know, the film people are on it. For the picture. And I will be a movie star at long last. Yeah, Trish Trish is the uh, lead back then who was also <laughs> the person that's dying. And she did a uh, an unbelievable job. So I'm... I'm Larry Linville was fun to work with. He played yeah, my father. Yeah, he was... Remember him? He was in M.A.S.H. as one of the characters. And, you know, there's a lot of good in it. And it, it shouldn't have been buried. It shouldn't have been punished for it. I don't know why I'd be punished for... I guess... Uh, You just have to look at Job. You know. Or look at this way. I suppose during the time of being completely pummeled by post-production and realized I had no way of paying... And no one was going to do anything for me. And and no, even if I prostituted myself, they wouldn't have done anything for me. So, you know, that nothing would have been... You know, sure, had I really believed in the vision, I could have uh, 
maybe gone, you know, take an extra job doing something and made, made some extra money for the... I suppose there were things I could have done, but, um, you know, I was having trouble with drugs and whatever. You know, it's all my fault. In the end, I have no one to blame. But the fact that it's coming back, and I'm not even pushing, it's pushing itself, to me is God. And if you see that film, I don't know what it's going to be called in the end or what, it, you know, because we still have to run it through um, a lawyer, you know, the, the, the people we always recommend are Donaldson and company. And they're the best at clearing stuff because uh, the character's a kleptomaniac and steals a lot of things that have name, name brands, you know, which all have to be cleared and they have to be cleared again. And, uh, but once we're cleared, uh, then, you know, I think the first route will be festivals, um, here and there. And, uh, distro will be, well, who knows what, what the, you know, I don't even, I don't worry about it. Somehow it'll be somewhere where people can see it. Whether it's the IFC channel or the Sundance channel or some somewhere for independent film, and uh, but I know it packs a wall up because man, everyone that sees it is devastated, absolutely devastated. It'll change your entire worldview. You know, you'll you realize all my life I've cut out this subject of death. All my life. And then here I am. This thing is starting to be restored while I'm in the hospital. And I'm dealing with death. And now I'm dealing with death on the screen. And, um... I'm not sure quite what that means. Except that probably the reason it's valuable for the public to look at is because the public needs to see it. I'm convinced of that. I don't know why I lost my conviction, but the public needs to see it and and really, maybe even more than you uh, once, um, to really understand sort of the universal nature of death. Because I think we forget about death. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't think much of my own death. But when I see this movie, I think a lot about it and how mysterious it is and what's on the other side. I had a nurse. I didn't mean her till about midnight doing rounds. And she told me that she confided in me that she was an empath. And I thought, oh my God, I have a real person here. She shouldn't be saying things like that. First of all, she could get caught. Then she told me she had died for like a long time. And then they brought her back. It was like a whole day. And she told me what was on the other side, what she saw. And she saw the world. Everything was slow. Everything was like, you know, how you'd have uh, houses. Well, where she was, there would be like lumber to make houses, but they're not made yet. You know what I mean? Just a very interesting perception of afterlife. 
And, you know, she, she, she said, well, this is not the end of life. I'm not sure what she was or what she was doing, but then they revived her, obviously. She wouldn't have been a nurse. But we had a good talk about it, and I thought, isn't this interesting that we're dealing with the subject of death and then bringing in this film uh, about death? And, and, you know, she has three months to live, and she's trying to reconcile with her father, and she's trying to make peace, but at the same time, she's rebelling against the whole thing, but at the same time, she can't really because... Death comes for us all. We can't rebel. We, we're going to go through it. And so that's really what the movie is. And then and how she, you know, and it's, it's kind of comedic how she refuses to cope normally and um, goes into denial and steals stuff and has, you know, just lives wildly as if it'll go on forever. But really, she's just fooling herself. And um, the little angel's a trip. The little, uh, my daughter plays really a very unique, fulfills a very unique role. And we really have to get the right sound effects for that. That's usually when she turns around and looks at you, it's like a bell goes off. Bing. And, uh, you know, and is it an important film? No. I wouldn't say it's important. You know, important film is like, you know, War and Peace or like Lawrence of Arabia or like, you know, some big epic film about the Civil War or something like that, you know, about uh, whatever, you know, freeing the uh, hostages from human trafficking, Sound of Freedom, that's an important film. You know, this is not important. It's, it's more of a film film. It's more of just a story. You know what I mean? It's just like an indie film. Just an independent filmmaker's film was my first effort. And I didn't even move, I didn't move the camera much. I preferred to keep it on sticks. So I did a lot of um, master shots, which people might find interesting. Uh, That's where you have more than one person in the frame. So the two actors actually have to keep it. You don't cut away to a close up or, you know, save yourself. In other words, you know what I mean? You're, you're, they're they're both in the frame and they're acting and they have to pull it off as actors, so there's a lot of acting in it, you know, like that. And uh, it's really I, I would never try that today, but I thought I got away with a lot. I mean, that must have been God's hand because most actors cannot pull off a master shot. That is where you have more than two, two or more in the frame, and and they you know you have no cutaways, no cutting to the cigarette, cutting to the ashtray, cutting to the to the sky outside, cutting to this, cutting to that, you know, cutting to something, B-roll even, anything, just to break it up so you can condense the scene and make it more playable. But in this case, they just, there was a scene where it was this guy, Larry Gelman, the actor, and God rest his soul, and he was, he was going to sell her this watch at the counter of this watch shop. After she tried, after, to, steal after she tried to steal it. And then he caught her, but then he sold her one. And she had like a whole pile of credit cards. She gives him one. And he's having to go to the cash register, dial it in while talking to her. She's got her own thing going on. And then and then he says, you know, what do you do when uh, credit cards are over the limit? You throw it away? And, and then she goes, 
that would be wrong. And then he goes, I was only joking. And all this activity had to happen in one shot, which was an overhead shot looking down on the counter from the side of the uh, cash register. But he had to do, and so you don't ever see films with that much activity around the cash register, and he had to get the receipt out, and he had to process the credit card. He had to talk to her, and then he had to give her an, a, a, a lesson on, he says, let me, let me show you how to wind it. And he goes, don't overwind it. He made a big deal about not overwinding the damn watch. He goes, it's old. It's going to need help, he says. So there was a double entendre about himself as a dying man. So all of that had to happen in the scene without any camera going anywhere. And people used to get so mad at me that I would do that. And I, I, I don't know what made me do it. I just did it. And you know what? It turned out great, I thought. Now, would it, if I had some coverage in there, would it have helped? If I had you know, a close-up of a face or a, the watch itself or something, the cash register, the credit cards, the whatever. If I had any cutaways whatsoever, would that have helped? I don't know. I cannot honestly answer that. I mean, I guess most film school students would say, where's the coverage? You suck, you know. But... Um, I guess I didn't know what I was doing, really. Maybe it was just beginner's luck that the actors held up their end of the bargain and turned in a performance. But, I mean, that's hard to do. You know, it was not a stage play. So it's... Um, anyway, I'm just sharing a piece of history with you because it will, three months from now, probably, maybe four, not too much longer... Um, you'll, you'll be able to see it. And if you want to check in on the progress, you can check in at crazedhouse.com. This site's been dormant. We haven't been able to work on it much. If you want to buy any merchandise there, please help us out. That'd be great. I have no problem selling stuff from that one. I don't sell anything here, but <clears throat> I have all the T-shirts. <coughs> I really like them. I like them a lot. But... Um, you can find out there when that's going to play. It's not a horror movie. It's uh, a drama. So people that are kind of offended by horror movies or didn't like the whatever we did before, uh, this is something um, much different. And um, I'm really happy that Larry took an interest in his doing the what you might call post-production supervising of uh, this project, which is a, a big job. He's doing it for me. Um, you know, trying to... And I think he thinks that God is restoring me through restoring this film. And um, I don't think it means I'm going to die after it. I think it just means that... Uh, that I'm really going to have my head filled with death, meaning I'm really not going to avoid it. I'm really going to think a lot about death. To the, not to where I'm calloused about it, but, you know, people are even, a, you know, how, how, 
Well, when people are in the hospital, you know, people don't visit people in the hospital very often. Did you know that? You know, because they're because they don't want to deal with the the, the D word. They don't want to deal with death. So they don't visit people, not because they don't love their mother or their father. They just don't visit them. Or they're some, some cannot, too. Why, well, they're too old. But I mean, you know, that there's very few visitors compared to how many patients. Mm. And I believe the reason for that is because people have not dealt with death. They're not sure of their situation. They don't, they've been living on their own by their wits. And they might even sense there's something more, but they don't feel comfortable being around people that are dying. And and that's weird because in the old days people used to die at home. I met I met so many nice people when I would uh, be bumping around outside, you know. Like I met this one guy who was. Uh, you mean outside the hospital? Yeah, like I'd go out to have a cigarette. Or I'd be heading home, or I'd be coming in, or I'd mm-hmm. be, you know. Um, I met this one young man who, uh, he was an excellent skateboarder. I mean, really, really good. I'd seen him around, yeah, but I'd never really talked to him. And he came and he bummed, he sat with me. Bummed a cigarette. Bummed a cigarette. Of course. And um, he, he was just, Really nice. His name was Gabriel, and he he gave me a hug when I left. When I left him, when I went back inside, but he he was going to pray for you. And uh, well, I his, appreciate his it. family was going through a whole shit storm. Yeah. His sister, she was diabetic. She had her leg amputated that day. Uh, One thing, he was um, grateful for was that the family had come together. The family, he got to see all his family again. They were all there supporting. There were so many. There was another woman who, her grandson had leukemia. And they had problems within the family with the mother of the child, etc. And the ex-husband and the husband oh yeah it just all these people who were going through all this crap and yeah. the ones that that knew the Lord were all so kind and helpful you know like that one Christian woman who uh, you know I had lost my car that one time mm-hmm. and I was panicking and she called me right down she was like a, an angel. <laughs> well, that's how we have to be. That, and that's who, what we're supposed to be here on earth, like the angels. Yeah. And we're supposed to let them know it's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I don't, we don't know. There's no and another gal school that I was talking to. She, her sister was yeah. dying that day. And they, she was an organ donor, so they were keeping her alive while she was dying. And she was only, she was like in her 20s. She had been born with her organs outside her body. And that's... Uh, 
this all these yeah. tragic situations. That's what I was trying to tell you, you folks. Just um, there's a lot of that going on around me as well. Being in, you know, starting in ICU and then moving up the ladder into different rooms and. And like I say, people are afraid to visit. Not totally afraid, because Trish has met some. But the amount of people that are passing and the amount of people that visit are very small. And I, I think it's because we don't... Because if we dealt with the subject of death, we would have to deal with the subject of God. We would have to. We, we, it'd be like the, the, a no-brainer. Anyway, more later. I uh, haven't been around in, you know, quite a few days, but uh, let this be a little fix for us all to, uh, look, we can all do better. We can all, um, you know, even, you know, it's not like I'm here to fix my legs, but in so... And having my legs as they are, there are people that I will meet and I do meet in similar situations that we can share a word or share. You see what I mean? How God can use that. And so I'm just, I'm trying to, trying to emphasize that part of any kind of um, outreach rather than, I've seen a lot of condemning lately that you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and and uh, stay away from this or stay away from that or you're blaspheming God. And, you know, most people don't even know what that means. So when you tell them they're blaspheming God, they just, they just start laughing. They don't understand. But when you say to them, hey, don't worry, you know, you're more loved than you know, uh, that gets the ball rolling to where, because everybody wants that. And so it gets the ball rolling. I think anyway. you'll be running again, buddy. Running. You'll be running. I'll be running. Yep, lucky dream. Okay. All right, God bless you. God bless everyone. You know, and uh, Jesus is with us all. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is amongst us right now. And the Holy Spirit heals. And the Holy Spirit leads, and the Holy Spirit guides, and the Holy Spirit informs. And so I have no worries tonight. I think tonight's going to be okay. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Good night, all. I'm going to play something. But <laughs> What's he going to play? I don't know. Healing from without I need. Wounds. I have a whole bunch of different songs. I just don't have them on my the laptop here. But uh, here we are. I don't have that one, Trish. Floating in space, surrounded. <laughs>
Oh, oh.